0: You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grass withers, flower fades, and the word of our God stands Forever, So this morning we're beginning a new series through one of the books of our New Testament, 1 Peter. And um, we've been through several books of the Bible together at my time here. We have uh, preached through some Old Testament books, the book of Jonah, the book of Zephaniah. Just recently we went through the book of Habakkuk. We've gone through Ecclesiastes. We've gone through some Old Testament books. We've gone through some New Testament books. We went 111 sermons in the Gospel of Luke. We've been through um, a quick run through, I think, six weeks in the book of Galatians. We went through some stuff in Philippians. We've been through several weeks in the book of Colossians and Phile- Phile- Philemon. And um, that's all that I can kind of pull off the top of my head. I didn't go back through and look and see for sure. But we've been through several books of the Bible. And so, uh, but a question comes up, or should come up, you know, why? Why are we doing this? We've spent seven weeks just previously going through a, a topical series, I guess, on the nature of the local church called The Church Body. We did seven weeks on that, and I enjoyed that. And, and honestly, there's a ton more we could just talk about. But I have a, a conviction, as, a, as the gathered body of Christ, that we work through books of the Bible together. Why is that? Well, one reason is that when we read of the early church, when they gathered together in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it talks about they gathered together for the, the um, apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And that the church, when they gathered, they would go over the apostles' teaching. They had Peter there with them as well as the planning of the first church, but several of the apostles, and they would listen to their teaching. The clearest way for us to honor that and to do that ourselves is to take time when we gather to go through the apostles' teaching. And so, therefore, the safest way to make sure we're doing that is to spend a bunch of time just going systematically through books of the Bible. We do this because this is safest for you. Like, there, there, this is, I mean, honestly, the, there is a concern for the guy who stands up here week in and week out that he begins to just talk on his pet subjects. He begins to just always talk about some certain issue or some certain kind of uh, just a, a, a trope that he kind of always has and just begins to say kind of the same things and picks a topical series. I think they're okay. Obviously, he just got done with doing one. But... As best as I am able, I want to teach to you the whole counsel of God's Word. I don't want to teach you my pet subjects. I don't want to tell you the things that I just find particularly interesting. I want to teach God's Word to you, the whole counsel of God's Word, which means, hang in there, we're going to go through 1 Peter chapter 3 that we just read this morning that is culturally very interesting. And we're going to go through that. And and the temptation for the guy up here is to say, There's no way I'm touching that passage of Scripture. I don't want to talk about that. But I want to teach the whole counsel of God's Word. And so we work through books of the Bible. That's one main reason. Another reason why we work through books of the Bible is that I want us as a congregation to to live with the texts that we're in. And so I bet that as we went through this seven-week series of the local body, I probably could have texted or called any number of people and said, what passage of scripture were we in this week? And you might be like, I can't. I kind of vaguely remember what you were talking about, but I couldn't duplicate it. In fact, I'm not sure I could. So, I mean, it's like, it's it's tough. Like, you know, because the week goes by and lots goes on. But if we work through books of the Bible and you're sitting down Thursday night and you're thinking, what were we talking about? oh yeah, we're in 1 Peter, and we were at, this sec- they were at this certain section. And then hopefully if the pastor is doing his work at being an expositor, you're able to look at that and then you can read the text and say, oh yeah, we talked about these things because here they sit right in front of me. That, and, and so that is, secondly, I don't want to just jump around as a pastor and put out 10 or 15 different texts, though it's great to have lots of texts but I want to have at least one main text that we're able to sit on and, and, and think through and remember as, as, a, as a teaching that we live with throughout our life. And so this morning we're in the, the first two verses really of 1 Peter as an introduction to the book. This really is Peter's own introduction to the book. And so we have basically three things to answer. Who's the author of the epistle? What is the audience of the epistle? Which is... Sorry, the letter. It's just epistle is a fancy word for letter. The, the author of the epistle, the audience of the epistle, and then the occasion for which he wrote this. And that isn't necessarily found in the first two verses, but we'll get there. So let's get into 1 Peter a little bit. The first word of the book, Peter. All right? This is. When you address a letter nowadays you write the whole thing out or an email and then you say some sort of a tagline sincerely or whatever and then your name well the customary way to write letters back in this in these times was that you started with your name it was really just a nice service to the person who's got to unroll this letter they can just open it up and oh it's from peter it's like um it's kind of the feature that our phones now have i'm very thankful That when I get phone calls from potential spam, my phone just says potential spam so I can just not answer it. And so the same way you get an epistle from someone, you could read the top of the letter and you'd be like, Oh, this person, uh, potential spam? I'm not going to read that scroll. No, thank you. And so they put their names up front. And so this, this letter written by Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, you can read critical um, scholarship about all sorts of reasons why this may not be Peter and all. There's, 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 it's, it's an interesting argument but there really isn't any reason to not know this as a letter from Peter that, was, that walked with Jesus one of the inner three of Jesus's disciples Apostle Peter um, he's writing this letter we find out that at the end of um, this this letter, and back in the fifth chapter, he says in verse thirteen, says she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. That we we learn from the end of this letter that Peter is at Babylon, which is his code word for Rome. He's in Rome with Mark, his son, sending this letter. It is Paul, Peter, that is writing this. Uh, letter to these this these, this region of churches. This means uh, if if Peter is in Rome at the time of writing this, we know from church tradition, from the book of First Clement, uh, uh, from the letter First Clement, from Eusebius's Church History, uh, that Peter is uh, martyred under the the Emperor Nero, and so likely the date for this letter is around sixty three A.D., which means Peter has been following Jesus for about 30 years now. He's lived through a lot. He's done a lot of ministering. He's had a lot of trouble. He's had a lot of uh, drama. He's had a lot of persecution and suffering. For 30 years, he's been serving Jesus, and he now, as an elder in the church, which is what he calls himself later on in the letter, he says, as a fellow elder, it's fascinating to hear Peter talk about himself in that way with with the people in these churches in this region. He doesn't call himself... As Pope of all the churches, he says as a fellow elder, as a teacher, a leader in the church, along with all of you, he's writing this letter from Rome. He has seen and learned a lot. But who then is Peter? I mean, and I don't want to just belabor an elementary point, but maybe it's beneficial to reflect a little bit on who is this man, Peter? And we could spend... A whole series, really, you could just do a series on the life of Peter, and it would take you, I mean, weeks and weeks of all of the events of Peter's life. He is prominent in um, the gospel writings. There's good reason why Peter um, has such a focus. Because he does fill the Gospels with all of his uh, information, his interactions with Jesus. He has a huge role within uh, Jesus and his disciples. But if you want to just flip to the book of Matthew, we'll kind of stick mainly in there. I want to look at uh, just some of the trajectory in this life of this man named Peter. You can go to Matthew chapter 4 going to verse 18, where he kind of comes on the scene, Jesus calling his first disciples. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets And they followed him. Peter's name originally Simon. And then Jesus then changes his name to Peter. Also Cephas, uh, which means Petros, which is rock, which is Peter. We could go through all the language, but I'm not going to bore you with all of that. Simon, whose name then gets changed to Peter. He has a huge role within the disciples. He often is the one who's speaking up. Like if something's going on, he's asking questions, he's objecting, he's asking questions about the parables, but flip back all the way to Matthew 14, we're going to skip over a bunch, you can read through it, you could do this easily on your own, just get any gospel and just look through at all the events of Peter's life. Peter is this guy who we know who, in, in Matthew 14, if you talk about Peter, many people bring up this instance, Peter's the guy who walked on water, Right? He is the guy who that when Jesus is in the boat, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray, this being Jesus. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart It is his eye, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. That's... Incredible, right? I mean we can just all like flat out admit that's that's miraculous event that Peter gets to enjoy gets to be involved in with in Jesus walking on the water. Verse thirty, when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to seek, he cried out, Lord save me, and Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Of you little faith, why did you doubt? And they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Ceased, And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now, the whole point of that passage is not that Peter walked in the water. It is that Jesus, the son of God, walked on the water and enabled Peter to. And then when Peter fell, he rescued him and the disciples worshiped Jesus, worshiped him as God. These faithful Jews uh, who would have, there is one God in Israel. Here, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There are no other gods besides God. And yet, when they see Jesus, they worship him as God. Chapter 16, Peter is the one who confesses Jesus as the Christ. There at the Mount of uh, the Caesarea Philippi, he says, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he is um, commended, saying that Jesus says that truly you did not know this, but it has been revealed to you by my Father in heaven. So he gets this. This is where he gets his name changed. Verse 18 I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's where we were last week. Was no. that? No one remembers that? We talked about that? Okay, we were there for a little bit last week. Anyway, that was was out of nowhere. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9, Peter is there when Jesus is transfigured before them. Uh, The the glory is revealed. These are all amazing events in Peter's life. But also Peter, to kind of go into the negative side, Peter at that confession is actually rebuked because he doesn't want Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to go and I'm going to suffer at the hands of, of the, the leaders. And Peter says, surely not. And Jesus says to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, if you read the old King James. Get behind me, Satan, to Peter. The guy who's walked on water, the guy who confessed Jesus as the Christ, the guy who sees him transfigured in all of his glory is told to get behind me, Satan. He also is the guy in verse chapter 26 uh, verse, uh, 30, uh, verses 36 through 46, he falls asleep in the garden a Gethsemane. Jesus is, wound, he is filled with sorrow, grieved beyond imagination. Won't you pray with me? And he, among with all the other disciples, falls asleep on Jesus. Sadly, we go on in the life of Peter and Jesus tells him that he will deny him. And Peter uh, does deny Jesus three times. He denies even knowing Jesus at his crucifixion. He denies Jesus. He falls asleep. He gets, He runs his mouth, gets condemned, says, get behind me, Satan. So Peter is all over the place, full of glorious moments, full of very... Uh, Very bad moments as well. And all the range in between. We go on. We see in Luke chapter 24, verse 34, that Jesus appears to Peter himself. At the end of the Gospel of John, we get the imagery of they're cooking the coal file on the fire on the shore. And and Peter is reinstated, basically, by Jesus. Peter, I know that you love me. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. He is reinstated by Jesus. Then you get into the outside of the Gospels, you get into the book of Acts. Peter's role there, just as important. He is the preacher of the first sermon after Pentecost, right? There in Acts chapter 2, he's the guy who references the book of Joel and preaches the first uh, Christian sermon there after Pentecost. And the first 15 chapters of the book of Acts are filled with Peter. Peter's, I mean, he disappears after the 15th chapter. Paul kind of takes the main stage for the last 13 chapters of the book of Acts. But Peter is huge in the book of Acts. In chapter 10 with Cornelius, he sees the Gentiles converted to the gospel. He's there at the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15 when they're deciding how to handle the influx of the Gentiles. Peter is there through all of that. And we see him one more time in the book of Galatians. I mean, he's just, what a fascinating Life this guy has lived. And we go into the book of Galatians, written by Paul, where he, in the second chapter, relates to us um, his Paul's rebuke of Peter for um, going back into kosher observances, basically. And he is opposed, Paul, he's opposed by Paul, Peter. Um, is rebuked and says at the end of his letters that, to, that Paul and he reconciled at some point and, and he saw Paul's accuracy and his uh, criticism of him and he actually commends the works of Paul in his writings. So, why go through all of that? Well, Peter is an incredible figure in our New Testament. He's incredibly blessed. All the things that he got to see. But he, he's, he's very forthright. He spoke his mind. He's a real leader, and he's full of problems. He's, he's a mess at the same time. He messes all kinds of things up, makes radically Im- important confessions of Jesus as the Christ, and then denies him three times. He, he's all over the map. And this will help us to understand his encouragement to those who are struggling who are striving to figure life out because Peter knows it. He knows it. He knows what it's like to be under fire and to be crushed and to be consumed, to be upset, to be led different ways. He knows what it's like to to try to be striving to figure life out, to be failing in various areas of life. And he knows what it's like to then trust Christ, treasure Christ through all of these things. So that brings us then quickly to the audience. The audience here is the dispersion. The, I'm in Galatians. That's not, I'm like, well, that doesn't say that. I'm in Galatians still. First Peter, this is the dispersion. Those dispersed amongst Pontus, Asia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, these five different regions that are now in modern-day Turkey is where these are all located. The Galatia, you know, is the book of Galatians. That's a region there in Turkey, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, uh, Pontus. There's just all of these regions which are now modern-day Turkey. But he refers to them as the elect exiles, to those who are elect Exiles of the dispersion. Now, this is a great, just fascinating description. We don't have time for it this morning. That's now we get to that next week of these elect exiles and all that that means for them. But Peter is writing to them of their blessed position as those who are elect, chosen by God. They are now. There's a lot of Old Testament imagery there. They are people that are chosen. And they are those who are exiles. They are sojourners. They are living in a foreign land. Their citizenship is not of this world. They are chosen by God living in a strange land, scattered in these five different regions. The makeup of them, both Gentile and Jewish believers. And that brings us then to the occasion of the epistle. The author, Peter. The audience, the Christians in this region, elect exile, chosen sojourners. What is the occasion? Well, much of that will be discovered as we work through this epistle. But we can see they're undergoing great difficulty. Get back into 1 Peter here with me. You could do this on your own at home. And you could see the, the, the difficulty that's coming their way. Verse 6 of the first chapter. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Chapter 2, verse 12, he says to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, people are defaming them, they are being spoken against as evildoers. Chapter 3, verse 14 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. They are suffering. Verse 16 of chapter 3 says, Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, people are speaking evil of them, giving unfair, unjust proclamations about them. They are being slandered. Chapter 4, verse 4, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. The world is full of debauchery in the the region that they are in and they are not joining in the debauchery. But it isn't just enough that they're not joining in, they're being slandered. They are being maligned. They are being hated because they won't join the world in their perversion and in their debauchery. Things are not going well. Verse 14 in chapter 4 says that if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. There's insults coming against them. Things are not going well for them because this world is not one of ease for the Christian. As long as sin exists in the souls of humanity, there will be a hatred of righteousness Not that the Christian lives in spotless righteousness, but just the fact that there is a desire in the Christian to value righteousness and to seek to live righteously every day, that is enough. Though we fail at it time and time again in countless ways, just the fact that we desire to live righteously is enough to earn scorn from the world. That is the occasion of the epistle. But Paul, but Paul, am I going to say Paul how many times? Peter, have I said it a bunch of times already? Okay, Peter, Peter writes, because he has real promises to put before them. Chapter five, verse six, it says, humble yourselves therefore, ending the letter here, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the pri- proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. There are real promises to put before this church. Though they are suffering, though they are struggling, though they are under persecution, though people are hating them just for trying to live in a way that honors God, though they are being insulted and slandered and maligned, there are promises of to humble yourselves under God's providential hand in your life because at the due time, He will exalt you. There is a God worth worshiping and he will not let you down. There is a savior worth treasuring, which we'll see in chapter one. He has real promises to put before them and so he gives them a real exhortation. He sums up his book here at the end. In chapter five, verse 12, he says, by Silvanus is the guy who likely helped write it down. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God, stand firm. Stand firm in it. The gospel that he has shared is the true message of grace and he exhorts them that though this life is going to present you with tons of problems and difficulty because it's a sinful world, world, stand firm in the truth of God's grace. So this makes First Peter an incredible book. It's filled with the reality of suffering, It's filled with a call for holy living and it is a book filled with calls for the Christian to put their hope in God in chapter 1 verse 3 he calls this a living hope blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the dead he wants to encourage them to trust and to treasure Jesus even in the midst of the many trials that they are walking through. Though this is a broken world filled with broken people, Peter's exhortation is that God's people have an unbreakable Savior and therefore they have an unbroken hope. The promises from 5 Chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 are for us to humble ourselves under God's hand of providence because he will lift up his people in his perfect timing. Be not anxious, Christian. God in all that he is doing is not abandoning his people but is guarding over them. As he says at the end of chapter 1, the grass may wither, the flower may fade, But God's word, his gospel, his promise, God's word, it will never fail. It will not fail. Because God's gospel stands forever and will not fail, we ought to hope in him because those who do will not end in disappointment, come whatever may in this life. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning to confess our need for you, Father, we are those living in a broken world. We are those living in a sinful world. We are those broken ourselves. God's still warring with the old man, sinful ourselves. And what we need is something larger than ourselves to hope in. And so Father, we rejoice this morning in the good news of the gospel, which tells us of a Savior who came who lived the righteous life we should have lived, who died the death that we deserved, so that through faith in him, we might be an inheritor of this promise of eternal life. We would be given the treasure that is you through, the, through faith in the work of Christ. And so this morning, God, encourage, bring to life, refresh and renew the joy that there is in this gospel so that we might have hope in the face of all of life's trials. None of us know what lies on the horizon in this world for us. We do not know what difficulty, what disease, what trial, what deaths lay around us and in front of us in this life. But if we are yours, we know that in due season, as we humble ourselves under your hand of providence, In due season, we will be exalted. We will be resurrected to a new life and forever eternal joy with you. God, may that reality be planted in every one of our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.